Welcome to the Mastering the Mind podcast, where we take you through professional elite athletes and coaches' stories about how they cope with the psychological demands of competing at elite level. Today, we welcome world-renowned sleep coach Nick Littlehales to the podcast. Nick has 30 years of experience in the world of sleep science and has spent 16 years working with elite athletes. Nick is the leading elite sport sleep coach to the biggest names in the sporting world, such as top Premier League clubs such as Manchester United, Arsenal, Chelsea, professional footballers such as Cristiano Ronaldo, the British cycling team and Team Sky's record-breaking cyclists, rugby union and rugby league and Olympic and Paralympic athletes, as well as teams in the NBA, NFL and NHL over in the United States. His proven approach to achieving the optimal night's sleep is endorsed by leading professionals in sport and business. Nick is also a best-selling author after having published his book called Sleep. If you're interested in checking this out, check out the link in the video description. An audio version is also available on audible.com. Feel free to also check out Nick's website, sportsleepcoach.com, to access a variety of additional resources and services. Link in the description below. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok for more exclusive content. So let's now welcome Nick to the podcast. Before we welcome the guest, we'd like to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host the Master in the Mind podcast. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Head on over to the Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free. Check it out. You know. So, yeah, it's just me, high profit, doing nice things. No, yeah, it sounds like you're you're enjoying the transition into semi-retirement. Yeah. <laughs> well, who yeah. retires who retires these days? I mean, I've oh, got yeah. so many, you know, slightly older colleagues who took their retirement packages and they're only coming back to work, you know, 12 yeah. months later. I don't I don't think the sort of general world climate um is about retirement these days. It's it's just if you find yourself in a place where you can do something you really love um, and you, you enjoy doing it, then it's not work, is it? Mm. Yeah, that's true. Very <laughs> true. So we're talking about retirement there. Uh, let's, take it yeah. back right, let's take it back right to the start. Okay, so a great place we like to start and for the listeners to get to know you a bit better is talk us through your journey to date, sir. Who is Nick Littlehales? And uh, yeah, talk us through your journey. Wow. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I loved sport when I was a teenager, like many do. Um, I was a little bit sort of more interested in sport than I was in, you know, going to lessons. Mm, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, I... You know, this is way back in the late uh, 70s, early 80s, and the, the world was obviously a completely different place then. So, you know, I just didn't, uh, I was unable to, although I had a, um, a short period of time trying to be a prof- professional golfer, um, just because it was a sport, <laughs> um, 
and then I sort of, you know, decided to get married, started a young family, needed to pay the mortgage and the bills. And uh, I ended up inside a family furniture business that I then ended up working for a, a sleeping comfort company uh, called Slumberland back in those days and uh, just to pay the bills. Um, yeah, I had absolutely no interest. I was a sales representative driving around a car selling products to retailers, you know. But the pay was good and I got free car. So, but I, I happened to become involved with that industry. Um, I The work that I was doing, I thought it was far more complicated than it should be. Uh, I thought there was better ways of doing it. Uh, I think that comes from being a sort of independent sports person. It was completely driven by if you don't do it, nobody else is going to do it for you. So I think there was a little bit of that sort of character coming through. So within a short period of time, uh, I became their international sales and marketing director. Um, it was a big international company, had licensees all over the world. Uh, we were a big brand, so we were sort of leading and innovating all the time, the industry. And uh, so I did lots of stuff, you know, inside of the sleep world, uh, looking at sleep around the world, all that sort of thing. Um, there was no uh, sleep council, no, no governing body for sleep in the UK, never mind anywhere else in the world. So I collaborated with a couple of partners inside the industry and we created the first sleep council. And I was the chairman of that for a while. Uh, and we did lots of good, good work, um, trying to change the sort of sleep initiative. Uh, but, you know, got to my mid forties, uh, probably a little midlife crisis, which is common for most. <laughs> yeah. And just thought, well, you know, sleep's taken for granted. It's not a performance criteria. Uh, nobody really cares about it. It's really important, but yeah, nah. And um, the 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 company had gone through a number of acquisitions, which as a as a director and and a big part of the main hub, um, it just created a lot of things that I just wasn't comfortable with. You know, mm. I knew that the, those factories were going to shut down three years before they're going to shut down, but nobody knew about that. And it was, so I think it just a little midlife crisis. All that happened at that particular point, my UK office was in an old Manchester in the UK. Um, the local football team, Oldham Athletic, uh, came knocking on my door because we were a big employer in the area. Um, I was still the sales and marketing director, but running out my 12-month contract, uh, twiddling my thumbs. You know? Yeah, and um, they asked if we would sponsor their football shirts. And uh, we took in late nineties, and um, I thought, well, most of the workforce uh, support the local football club, so if we put the company's name on the football shirt, they'll be really happy and keep them all happy in the factory and all that sort of stuff. So I did it. Um, it just happened to be that I got invited then along to some football events because I was the guy writing the checkout. Yeah. Uh, Oldham Athletic in the northwest of the UK. Uh, the big football club was Manchester United. Um, there was other clubs in the area, which was the breeding ground for Manchester United players back then. You know, class of 92, 
Uh, Beckham was from London, but Paul Scholes, the Neville brothers, Nicky Butts, all of those kind of players, late 90s, were all from that era. So I ended up bumping into Alex Ferguson. And, uh, you know, footballers and, and coaches and managers, they all sleep like everybody else. But in the scheme of things back then, um, you know, it was just an opportunity to have a conversation about what do you do in sport about your sleep? And the answer was nothing. So if it had been any other club in the world, I would imagine. It just happened to be the local club to where my UK office is because I'm an Aston Villa fan. Right? Oh. So it had no relationship with me to sort of, you know, be involved with the club. But if it hadn't have been Alex Ferguson or any other club, then that conversation would have just stopped straight away. And probably I would not be here talking to you now. But yeah. it developed a conversation and it was more to do with if we know nothing about that and don't do anything about it, then there must be something in there that could benefit us. So it's all about sort of that intrusive area with any elite athlete is how much time do you get with their time to influence what they do? And um, there was a number of things going on at the time which I got asked to sort of overlook um, and that created more dialogue. Um, Alex Ferguson started changing a few things like double up pre-season training sessions uh, before the season started. So training in the morning and in the afternoon. So we had what we'll, what would we do with the players in between those training sessions. Um, so that's just having a dialogue, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a, a developed a particular view um, about sleep, what I'd learned. There was no definitive approach, but that doesn't mean to say you can't do something with it. Um, so those players were playing for the England national squad. So around uh, 1998, uh, the World Cup in France, they started telling the staff that they'd got this guy talking to them about sleep and things. Uh, it happened to coincide with the physiotherapist at the time for the England squad was a guy called Gary Lewin, who was also the, the Arsenal FC physio. And a new manager had just arrived right there called Arsene Wenger. And he had a completely, you know, some people thought not crazy. Mm. His approach to elite athletes, never mind football players and the process and everything else, was completely different. Um, so they asked me to, to come in and talk to the first team of Arsenal. And that was a different thing to talking to the Manchester United players because most of those were homegrown British players. This was a multicultural team of players from all over the place. So suddenly I'm just sitting there thinking, what am I doing? Um, I'm now, now going into clubs premiership clubs and, and talking about sleep and stuff. Um, so the media picked up on it and I woke up one morning and there it was on the press that, you know, Manchester United and Arsenal football players are getting pampered with a sleep coach for heaven's sake. Yeah. And, and I thought, well, that's me, isn't it? So <laughs> I just had to try and, you know, make it up 
as to how, how do I coach somebody? How do I present something to them? How do I change the way that they might do something when I had no other sleep coach to go and talk to? There was no benchmarking from the sleep coach degree from university. Yeah, It was just literally this, this role appeared. And um, whilst everybody was walking around a little bit tongue-in-cheek, you know, sleep coach, football players, whatever next, uh, I kept getting asked to do things. And um, Manchester United went and did something quite significant at the time, and they won a treble. Um, anybody who's into football will know about that one. Last yeah. seconds of a game by a Munich in the new Camp. And um, the whole focus of the world just dive-bombed onto that team. Yeah. And so anything they could find out about Manchester United, the treble-winning side, all of that drama that created, you know, stories for the papers. Uh, and, of course, they've got this guy talking to him about sleep was one of the things that they picked up on it. So yeah. it kind of, like, elevated, hang on a minute, treble-winning side... They're able to keep going, keep going, still put the pressure on, still be alert, still be decision-making, never giving up, right until the last seconds of a game and winning. What's going on inside of there? And the only sort of unique thing about that was they've got a sleep coach. So the journey then comes through British cycling, in 2008, challenged to put a British rider on the Tour de France podium, uh, which was achieved. The aggregation of marginal gains, uh, people will be aware of that, the 1% factors. So they had to look at sleep. So they engaged me in that process. World records for fun on the track and the velodromes and the road and Tour de France's and all that sort of stuff was just for fun. Yeah. And uh, London 2012 Olympics, which sort of culminated. Uh, a lot of the people I was working with, including British Cycling and stuff, uh, they just went and did it again. So it's sort of, that's where it really sort of came together. And uh, along that journey, I had to sort of put it into some sort of, you know, technique, um, give it a title, give it mm. a process uh, so that people can pass it on to other people. So that developed into what's called the R90 technique, which is based on recovery in 90-minute cycles. Um, seven little KSRIs, key slip recovery indicators, little areas that you can look into, the aggregation of marginal gains, a little journey. That was that. That got, I was asked to put that into a book <laughs> back in 2016, and uh, which was a bit overwhelming, a bit scary. Um, but... 17 languages later, and it's still being published today, some seven years on. Um, and, you know, in, in recent years, never mind the pandemic years, I think what's happened after over 20-odd years I've been involved in this area in the background, not as an academic or clinical expert, but just somebody who's looked at it a lot and was trying to work out how you could redefine it for somebody in a, a really ever-changing, difficult, challenging world as it has been. So, you know, we're all into human recovery and 
and sleep these days and everything else, but we're still very much hoping the next generation will will grab a hold of it and keep redefining it. You know? But the long answer to your question, guys, but that's, uh, you know, the journey's not stopped, um, but that's where we're up to today. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks so much for, for sharing that. But um, So you kind of mentioned, so obviously, in the 90s, the world was completely different to nowadays, like uh, like health and well-being wasn't really a focus in elite sports. Um, did you kind of experience any resistance or did you find it hard for people to get a buy-in in, in, in your methods and your ideas? Or Because certainly we're obviously in the field of sports psychology. We can totally relate to, you know, it's quite a, a novel area of, of performance as well. So did you kind of potentially experience that at all? I think I, I, I didn't personally experience it mm. because anybody who knocked on my door wanted to investigate that area. Yeah, but um, you're talking about a handful of people. Mm. Uh, Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger, yeah. uh, latterly British cycling uh, with Sir Dave Brailsford and people like that. And um, so I think I, I there is a resistance to this still today, but... So although I've had a reasonable impact on a number of areas of, of sport and high achievers over the years, um, and there's lots of other experts out there now, and and you know lots of people tagging themselves to the world of sleep, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot more interest, but actually getting them over the line, not easy. Mm-hmm. You know there is still a resistance to. Um, it, it has always been taken for granted. It's not a performance criteria. So you've got to almost change that mindset to turn it into something that's practical and achievable. And, and there's still a lot of resistance to that because it, it has been left aside. But, you know, it's, it's like your roles. Um, I, I don't think there was even a, a title for a, a, a sports psychologist. I mean, now there's one in every football club I go to, you know, full time. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, I think sometimes uh, you have to, the, the, the journey for change um, can take a long time, decades, yep. long, long time for people to shift. But what, I, what I'm more comfortable with is, you know, looking at you two, you're not in your 60s. No. But there's a lot more younger um you know sports science coaches nutritional coaches psychology strength and conditioning coaches managers and everything else who who have stopped stopped looking at sleep in the sort of perceived way that most people think about sleep you know get your eight hours i'll see you tomorrow it they are changing their their understanding of it and they are being able to take it on board and do something with it. And uh, knowing, I think, that there has been some significant uh, shifts in performance. And, uh, you know, I've just hopped off the phone from a, well, they're actually leading the premiership at the moment, again. Uh, they wear light blue. Those um, neighbors. <laughs> yeah. They, they consistently, you know, consistency, you know, Throughout the whole club, consistency. 
you know, so they're able to just keep delivering. Mm. And whatever happens, you know, you lose some players or you shift some things around or it's, and they're able to just keep delivering performances when they want because everything in the background is there to, to help that. And Liverpool is another club um, where the manager talks about consistency all the time. So I think the thing about human recovery, which is what I try to focus on rather than sleep, because that sort of puts you in this box where nobody cares, mm. uh, is just change the language about it. And if you can get more consistent, sustainable uh, levels of recovery, yeah, which sleeping is part of that, uh, then it's kind of amazing what you can achieve, you know. So it's, uh, I think it's the, the areas in sports that are making the biggest shifts is because they put that health pillar sleep as the number one pillar and, and call it recovery, you know. Yeah. And so it's like all the other areas are focused on like math, but if you're not recovering well enough, then they're diminished, right? So eating really, you know, have a great nutritional diet, but are you getting the most out of that? Training programs, are you getting the most out of that? Mental programs, psychology, are you getting the most out of that? So while they're all there, but if you can get somebody and improve the way that they recover, then all of those other factors tend to improve by default. So it, you know, it's no point talking to somebody who's up to their ear rolls in fatigue you know, not sleeping, not recovered and everything else about anything you want them to do because it's just going to go in that area and come out the other one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And in terms of how you actually coach, um, when you go into these clubs, obviously you spoke about working at Manchester United, lots of other Premier League clubs, um, England and things like that. Are you working with the individual or are you working sort of as a group and uh, like, what is your way of coaching uh, when you go into a club like that? Um, well, there's, there's, there's two sides to it because, you know, you do have teams and you do have organisations. But, you know, I work with snowboarders, uh, e-sporters. You know, these are professional sports people in a, in a new environment, OK? Mm. Um, male and female, uh, any age group, you know, equestrian riders, rowers, you know, NFL, NBA, you name it across the piece. So it, it, it's always the top flight sports that get the attention, like premiership football clubs. But I'm working with everybody. So in a lot of cases, those individuals are on their own. They only become part of a team for major events, world championships or Olympics and things like that. So there's a lot of athletes I work with, which is directly one-to-one. -one, right? uh, sometimes... Uh, with their own coach, right? Um, but a lot of lottery-funded athletes don't have coaches all the time, right? They're very much driven by their own success and what they try to achieve. So there's one side of it, which is directly one-to-one. -one. Uh, when it's a club, the club might contact me. Um, I would go in to create that starting process of awareness understanding, trying to change the mindset, you know, I'm only going to mention sleep once in this whole hour, right? The rest of it's about this. Um, that might just be to stimulate a conversation. 
other clubs will use a sort of strategy of a, a number of workshops on site, uh, basically for individuals to trust me. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of trust in coaching, isn't there, guys, right? For sure. You don't just let somebody come into your world. Um, and I suppose with sleep, it's even more private, right? It's sort of like, well, nobody's ever looked at this before. So I'm not letting somebody coming into my my world of sleep because that's the only place I can escape the world from, sort of thing. Yeah. So they use the workshops to create awareness, uh, to get individuals to to maybe come forward. You know, like in any team, if you get the captain on board, the rest follow. Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit of sort of a little journey of it's all right. We're going to keep talking about this. There's little things that you can do. Uh, so within that, individuals will come to me direct personally. But most of the most of the clubs, once they've gone through a, you know, maybe a three or four month strategic shift with some workshops, some small group things, you know, using Zoom or me, but going in personally. Uh, once they get to whatever point it is, they'll basically just say, you know, contact me direct. So sometimes you work with clubs um, a little bit longer over a number of years uh, because they want to keep you involved almost like a third-party provider within the system. Um, but in many cases, they just go, look, Nick is not going to do anything that's going to... Um, anything negative whatsoever, right? Doesn't prescribe anything. Not going to ask you to do it. The only thing that's going to happen with you contacting Nick is it's going to get better, right? That's it. You'll never get worse, right? So they kind of go, like I said before, you know, it's like if they're getting like 25, 30% of any athlete or player at the time, training at the training ground, all that, and then the, they go away, they would like to get more time with the individual player and athlete, not just when they come into the club to play and train. Well, it gives them an avenue through me to create more intrusion, if you want to put it like that. Mm. But I can actually go into players' homes, mm. you know, and I can actually talk to their wives and their partners and their kids and their moms and dads. I can wander around their bedrooms and their homes and also I can talk to them about stuff that even coaches are not allowed to talk to them about, you know? Yeah. But it's all done with a complete privacy that you'll never see any of that on my website, on a social media platform, ever, right? So in some in a lot of cases, a long answer to your question again, but in a lot of cases, it's just the club is kind of using me to help an area um, without them getting involved, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, oh, we're going to send Nick in because you're not sleeping well and your house might be set up wrong and this might be set up. And they go, well, I don't want that to happen. So they kind of go, well, look, um, these are all the people who've benefited from working with Nick. We work with Nick as a club, right? Um, so we're endorsing what he does because we use him to help us as staff and everybody else. And you've seen him. You've seen him. He's come in and done workshops for us all, hasn't he? Yeah. Mm. 
So they use that element to then sort of give that individual an opportunity to allow me to come in and look for things that they wouldn't even associate with recovery, sleep, or anything else because of the lack of education along that process. Yeah, definitely. I'm seeing a lot of overlaps between like our profession and your what you're doing there of, oh, in yeah. terms of like confidentiality, privacy. Um, there's so much overlap. It's, it's really interesting to, to see that. Um, yeah. Well, there's lots of, you know, over the years, I want to become a sleep coach. And I said, well, you know, I don't really know what it means because mm. what happens is in the process, you need to gather quite, quite a reasonable level of knowledge about nutrition. Uh, you need to know about the circadian rhythms, which can be quite deep and meaningful depending on who you're talking to. There's chronotypes, there's, there's sleep itself, which is a complex tissue itself. You also need to know about environments and, and about sleeping products. You need to know about medications that are in the world of sleep, like sleeping tablets, melatonin, all these other things. You've got to, so really, and, and there's a bit of psychology. Definitely. You know, that you sort of, it's, it's like any, any particular coach or any particular field. There's no point you telling somebody that you want them over there or you want them to go and do that. They won't do it. Yeah. But you take them on a little journey and they end up there and suddenly go, oh, that stopped happening. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> so it, it sort of combines quite a lot of things. And it's got absolutely, uh, you know, I'll exaggerate the point, but it's got absolutely nothing to do with what happens when you're in a sleep state. Your brain takes over. It's going to deliver what it can, all dependent on what happened from how you started your day. So all the things that you do in any 24-hour process, there's no Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's a rolling 24-hour process. It's a sun-up, sundown, midday, sunset, 24-hour process. It's the sun going around our planet. We're, we're things on this planet that are completely synchronised to that process. We just try and make it more difficult because we keep creating things that make it more difficult. But that's the reality it's a brain and bodily functions. It's a direct correlation with the circadian rhythms. And if you're a little bit more synchronized with that relationship as a brain and bodily functions and, and light, dark and temperature shifts and timings, rhythms and patterns and harmony, bingo. Your brain will just go, I love it. And I'll give you the best. You put things, barriers in and around that all the time in all sorts of ways. It's constantly adapting, constantly adjusting. And, and that's why it becomes an important factor is because your brain's working too hard to try and give you any sort of recovery. And eventually, you know, whether it's within weeks or months or years or even decades, you know, the brick wall appears. Yeah. Or the consequences of... Yeah not looking at it carefully enough along that route. No. Okay. Before moving, on to, before moving on to the details of sleep, um, I mean, I can't move on without asking this question. As a huge United fans, uh, myself and John, um, and about the privacy, like you could choose whether you want to talk on this or not, but um, we got to know about you um, from a lot of people talking about Cristiano Ronaldo, mm -hmm. um, you know, his constant focus on gaining those 
you know, marginal gains or what you spoke about. Uh, did he approach you and, and what was it like uh, working with him? Um, right, just I have to qualify this a little bit. Okay. <laughs> um, is that I was working at Manchester United when Cristiano Ronaldo was brought into the club. Right? Yeah. So a lot of the things um, that he learned came from Manchester United. And that's in all sorts of areas, in, including, you know, that Manchester United had a had a, a sleep coach and, and talking about stuff, you know, where that you would never have come across that in any other club on the planet at the time. So he has a very strong relationship with Manchester United and, and clearly has gone back there in, in recent months. But I, I also I got asked to go out to uh, Real Madrid in uh, 2013. Uh, the manager was Carlo Ancelotti. He was previously at Chelsea. I was doing quite a lot of work at Chelsea. I had a brief spell at Paris Saint-Germain and then went to Real Madrid. So he and his staff got me into Real Madrid to, to check out their extensive training facilities under the level of recovery. They've got players' rooms and all sorts of things. Um, and to impact all of my techniques onto the coaching staff. Um, there is also... Sometimes there is a sort of translation, um, cultural things where certain clubs would rather pass the information on to, to other people in their own way rather than, you know, uh, me trying to pass it on in, in English and stuff like that. So I coached all the staff. Strangely enough, at that particular time, uh, Gareth Bale had just arrived at Real Madrid, 80-odd uh, million quid which seems mm. not these days. <laughs> so true. Um, and, you know, there's Gareth Bale. And uh, he knew I was in the club, so we had a, we had a chat with the doctors right? and, and with him. Uh, Cristiano was there because the players were all doing first-team training. And um, I happened to have a colleague with me who was connected to Manchester United. <laughs> he was the brother of somebody else's a fan. And also... Uh, he was supporting me in other sort of financial areas and things like that. So Cristiano was literally standing, you know, there's me coaching all the staff. He was literally standing there off training uh, and just sort of go, oh, that's, you know, Nick's here from Manchester United, you know? Yeah. But I've never actually spoken to him. But okay. I have, within workshops and been in the same room and things like that, but... And, and obviously, he's he talks and continues to talk about the importance of sleep and napping techniques and sleeping in cycles and all sorts of. So he he's constantly uh, putting information out there that can only come from one place, uh, and that was from what he's learned from me. You know, um, he certainly got the opportunity to read a book or listen to my book. He certainly had the opportunity to listen to Alex Ferguson, who would tell him, like, this is how you sleep, mate, you know, because that Nick says so. So, you know, so, you know, there's never been any conflict of interest, but all it was, you know, there are some pretty high level celebrity people out there who I work closely with and have over the years, you know, Ramos and PK. <laughs> Carlo Ancelotti, Alex Ferguson, Aguero, David Silva. The, the, the list could go on for quite some time. But of course, Ronaldo 
He's the one that creates column inches, inches for anybody. So literally all they did is if Nick was coaching Manchester United, if Nick's been coaching Real Madrid, uh, then obviously he's coaching Cristiano Ronaldo. So yeah. it just went up one day into the press that Nick's, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo's personal sleep coach. And uh, you can't get rid of it. Not that I want to. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. I don't think... <laughs> you know, if, if there was any concerns, the lawyers would have sorted out a long time ago. But I think okay. it's fair to say that he is a massive... He's a, an amazing athlete, you know. But way back, even before Cristiano Ronaldo joined Manchester United, Ryan Gibbs was looking into areas of his own personal performance in areas that nobody else was considering at that time, completely in isolation as a personal journey to improve the way he could be, like yoga, meditation, things like that. You know, yeah. so I remember, you know, the club asked me to put a, you know, to be in the players' lounge at the training ground, just be around, you know, after training. And if any of the players want to come up and have a chat to Nick about stuff, he's in the players' lounge. The only person who came to talk to me was Ryan Giggs, you know, yeah. in the very early stages. So I think, um, you know, Christian, he, he learned a hell of a lot at Manchester United, all sorts of areas that's helped him throughout his whole career. And anybody who's ever worked with him, you know, whether you're a sports science coach, strength and conditioning, whatever, is, is he literally is one of the best athletes on the planet. I mean, in all sorts of aspects, that's why he's been able to do it, you know, and keep on top of it. So it, it's just, you know, sorry to to bust your thunder. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no it's it was, fantastic. Uh, it great, yeah. yeah. Do, do you know when you go out to, like, these different countries and obviously building your, your, your business, yeah. are you bilingual in, you know, other languages or, um, you know, like have you got communicator. a translator out there? Yeah. yeah. What, what's it been like? Is that, has that been a challenge for you? Um, you know, I, 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 I talk, sometimes I can talk reasonably good English. I can also, <laughs> do, I can also do bad English. <laughs> yeah. Not no, bad. I think, I think, um, I think when you said before about sometimes barriers, you know, um, um, to, to, to people engaging with any particular, and sometimes that can be, you know, language and culture and stuff like that, mm. um, I think a lot of a lot of sports around the world uh, do look at the UK as being, you know, a, a pretty decent provider of good coaches, good people who can really make a difference. You know, so you see that in sport. Um, but you know, English is pretty much a pretty common language wherever you go, even if it's. There. So, like I said, at Real Madrid, there was there was quite a large percentage who didn't have a, a good enough command of English to sit in a room and listen to me. Um, so that's why it was done through translators and the coaches and the doctors. Yeah. Um, but most cases, you know, I've been out been out to uh, to Legia Warsaw, uh, which is a leading club in Poland. Uh, you know, Robert Lewandowski as uh, a Polish player. Bayern Munich. So that when you wander around, um, there's normally 
a level of command of English that either can be translated on or, or most most people have some level of it. So, you know, yes, it would be a barrier for me. It really does help, though, uh, if you publish a book and it's in 17 languages. Yeah. Because I know there's over hundreds of languages around the world. Um, but if you get Spanish, Portuguese, you know, Italian, Chinese, you know, if you get if you get all the main ones in, then it really helps to allow people to engage in it. And of course, technology, you know, just keeps moving faster than I can move. So, you know, it used to be quite complicated to have your website in multi languages, didn't it? Now you can get a free app and just press a button. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. My website could be turned into over, I think. You know, depending on what we're feeling in like 10 languages. <laughs> it's kind of, and I don't have any problem turning content into different languages with all the technology we've got. So, um, no, I don't speak any languages, but it's not a barrier today's world. You know, whatever, however you want to communicate, you can communicate it. I'm bilingual in French and you know sometimes I do think okay speaking two languages is an advantage but sometimes like especially in in my role like I've learned everything to do with sports psychology in English like yeah, and yeah. when I have for example like French clients or I'm speaking about what I do in French it makes yeah. it so difficult because I don't know the terms the technical terms you know in that language so yeah it, it depends how you see it I it's guess it. yeah yeah so. it, it's it's happened when I first uh, became an international sales director with a big company, uh, and we had a lot of we had a big European group, and I thought this is great because I can start learning French and Italian and German and you know all sorts of mm. different languages. Be great, no, because every single business meeting, every, everything was done in English. So it's kind of like, but like I say, the technology is just just amazing because you know we can also we can be talking to each other in different languages and and we've not got a problem in the slightest with the tools that we've got available to us definitely so you mentioned you worked with team sky's tour de france cyclist so was this kind of like a turning point for you because i read that you kind of introduced the idea of um uh, introducing like a sleep kit uh within that kind of within your work with this team so Talk us more about what did this sleep kit kind of consist of and obviously marginal gains. We've talked about it a lot in this podcast. Like, how, Tell us more about it. Well, it was a little bit of a game changer because uh, they had a five-year strategy to put a British rider on the Tour de France podium. So this wasn't like just come in and talk to us about sleep. This was actually engaging what they believed was the best person yeah, mm -hmm. on the planet, pat myself on the back. <laughs> uh, they're engaging the best person on the planet in the area of sleep, where they could get practical and achievable benefits. So we're not trying to study sleep. We're trying to impact it on our team. And the aggregation market means you have to have a sort of OCD complex about looking at absolutely everything. And I mean everything like the shampoo that you use to wash your hair could we use another one that might make the slightest bit of improvement you know what i mean so you look at everything so they couldn't ignore sleep 
So I got involved with that. And that was like, wow, this is just not for six months. And along that process, as I mentioned before earlier, what happened that I really had to put this in a box, right? What, I'm, what are we actually going to do? Right? And although I had it in my head and was doing it all the time, we needed to sort of put it on the wall. Mm. So it's the R90 technique, right? Recovery in 90 minute cycles. This is going to be the core of what we're going to impact on the riders. So we'll define that a little bit better. Then we've got what areas we're going to look into. So I mentioned the seven KSRIs. So these are things. So we need to raise their awareness of circadian rhythms and chronotypes. We'll look at that, how we do things. And we'll look at that. We'll do the cycles thing. We'll chop that up. We'll change the training programs a little bit. And we'll also, you know, number six is environments. And number seven is products. So... That's where the sleep kit came in. So we did all this little journey of raising awareness and should we have that rider doing this at this particular time because their chronotype's this and not that, all that sort of stuff. Then we started asking the questions of their partners, you know, because even in British cycling at the time, you had people like Laura Trotz and Jason yeah. Kenny who <laughs> became a couple. Right. Uh, but they lived together. You know, yeah. So it's not just about the rider, it's also the, the, the influences. So what happened is I would check the environments in their homes uh, to see what things they've got around them. When we're going off to hotels for three weeks, Giro d'Italia or the Vuelta and the Tour de France, they're in different hotels. So we're taking them out of that environment, their home, you know, where they live, countryside, apartments, this, that, and everything else. And then we're going into these hotels and we've not chosen the products. We've not chosen the environment. There was a hen party in there last night. Yeah. These are not designed for elite athletes. And we expect them to ride in a really high-performance sport for three weeks, up and down mountains. And this is like eight hours every day. It's longer than when they're on the bike. So you see what I mean? It's sort of like, mm -hmm. whoa, hang on a minute. They're on the bike for five hours, you know, 250 kilometres up and down hills. But we're leaving them alone in that room for like eight. What's yeah. that all about? So what we did is by getting the key factors within their homes, you know, light, dark, temperature, sensory stuff, smells, and, and you know, everybody's got a physical profile, you know, ectomorph, mesomorph, endomorph in the medical world. So literally we want them to be sleeping in a certain position, fetal position, opposite side to the dominant side, like that, so they get physical recovery and also can go into the recovery state and get as much as possible out of it. So we take that, we then put some of those products inside a bag and we take that bag to the hotel and we open it up in that hotel room. And so we make it more familiar for that individual. So we started doing it with one or two bits, like a pillow and a topper. And then on the next tour, because it got such a reaction, we decided, oh, we're going to take it even further. So sometimes we put in things on top of mattresses to make it a bit better. Then we started taking the old sleep kit in. So we'd ignore the mattress, prop it up against the wall, and just have this kit that just unzips onto the floor. They dive into it, do the sleep, get out, zip it back up, and take it to the next hotel. So we'd have very high powered, mentioning no names, vacuum cleaners, handheld, 
to go around the whole place and take all the dust. We put high particle filters in the corner of the room to drag all that pollution out and rubbish because of breathing and nose breathing. We'd wipe every single surface down with an anti-back because it was only the maids doing it. And if you pick up a virus two days into a Tour de France and it comes out four days later, hang on a minute, yeah. you know? So we were teaching them how to wash their hands, which is quite, puts a smile on my face. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so COVID, I though, because, yeah. you know, you're singing happy birthday doing this. <laughs> and, and it sort of, yeah. I think what happened was it's something we started to do that. But, what, what suddenly became really apparent is that the riders, you know, you finish a really heavy stage, um, you get massage, you get nutrition, you get team meetings and everything else. But they actually, they actually started to like to go to the bedroom because they were getting inside of their kit. They were getting, it's the same smell. It smells like their partner, you know, whether it's perfumes or, or washing powder, they know it works, right? So they know that they're going to get the best recovery they can from that stuff. Whether they do or not is depending on lots of things. They could have fell off the bike earlier in the day and damaged their shoulder and all sorts of stuff. They know that that will give them the best. Anything else was there for somebody else, you know? So mm. it kind of gave them a real big confidence to go into the room and also know that it's there when they get to the end of the other stage of the next hotel. Yeah. And that was one of those little, but it, it's little tiny things, you know, it, and it still goes on today, but you don't have too many people wandering around with their own sleep kits. You know, there's travel problems and all sorts of stuff, but there was a number of sleep kits at the Olympics in Japan. Mm. You know, so it still goes on, uh, but it, it's not everybody's first choice to be taking their own bed to a hotel when they've already paid for the bed. Yeah. But if you're an elite athlete and this is big stuff, then, you know, why would I sleep on something else for eight hours when I could actually get something that fits? Mm. So yeah. that was a bit nuts. But I have to say there was a moment in time when a sort of elongated transit van turned up at a hotel at the start of a, a big grand tour and all the other riding teams are there and everything else. And out come sort of like 24 bags going up into the rooms um how big are the bags to be able to get your own bed in there well basically it's just a single you know if you think of a single mattress yeah um but they're they're layers they're toppers right so they're, they're like a specialized foam that releases and stuff like that yeah. uh, but inside there you've got two two different uh depths of topper which you can which we use to, for the different profiles but you've got a duvet in there which has got uh, you can pull apart and it's got two different tug ratings so depending on how the room is how you are you can have some temperature control by using which bit or even under the all the linen was designed by me that was sort of highly antibacterial micro and, and washes and dries in seconds you know so they could literally you know uh, keep everything hypoallergenic and antibac and clean and fresh, so they were having fresh linen on the kit every night. Mm. Now, how many how many days pass before you change your bed linen? Yeah. <laughs> I did it yesterday. I did it yesterday. <laughs> you just imagine 
those kind of conversations when we're talking about we're building this sleep kit and we're going to go, yeah, we'll put this in there, put that in there, that in there, and we'll put that in there and that in there, and we'll be able to create that, la da 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 And they're literally lying on the floor inside this zip kit. Um, so if you imagine a single mattress size, now when you fold it over and zip it up into sort of backpack, there's a few pictures knocking around. Yeah, yeah that's you know, a lot. Yeah, but it's like you can't actually get it on your back yeah. uh, with everything in it. Jeez. And you literally plonk it on the floor. You unzip it, you know, and flop it out. And there it is. Zip it back up and off you go. Mm. Uh, that took a bit of designing. Yeah. Um, but once we got there, it was amazing. But you imagine I've got some of the some of the best coaches from around the world in cycling and performance and stuff with the British Cycling and Team Sky at that time. Because um, there, was, there was a lot of money knocking around. So, you know... They want the best coaches. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was just having that conversation with, well, you know, we've got the linen inside, but we should be changing, giving them fresh linen every night. Because when you put fresh linen on a bed, for example, uh, it kind of feels like you should get in it. It feels a bit cooler. It feels a bit cleaner. You sort of think you're going to have a good night's sleep before you even get in it. Uh, it's nothing, sure. bad, nothing better than fresh. Like two days later, it, it's warm, it's stuffy, it's not got the same thing. So you just went, hang on a minute. If that actually is, you know, from a psychologist's point of view, you exactly. go, from a psychological point of view, it's like, whoa, fresh linen? How are we going to do that? So I had to design this linen using a fabric that literally they could just hand wash in the in the in the the coach yeah. sort of thing they could just hand wash it on and, and just hang it up there it, it, it's dry in 10 minutes right mm. and then they had to have enough sets of them to so that we could literally yeah. fresh one fresh one clean two fresh one fresh one clean two but the riders just absolutely loved it and I saw both of your faces and you know and we're blokes we shouldn't be getting involved with stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was just like, whoa. Yeah. So it's kind of like you're wandering along inside a peloton, hundreds of kilometers, you know, and you're just thinking, when I get to the end of this, I'll do that and that and that, go upstairs, climb into my own sleep kit, fresh bed linen, can't wait. Oh, yeah, literally. Go I can imagine. Yeah. So it's kind of like when you said sometimes um, barriers to the work that I do, well, you know, conversations like that sometimes, you know, you get coaches and professional people just go, what? Are you having a laugh? I said, well, you know, marginal gains, mate. 100%. So uh, in some cases, you might just take a little, a little very portable bag it's got, you know, a little bit of linen in there that smells like home. Um, and you take that to the hotel. You might take some sounds in your device, um, things that help the mindset because you're somewhere else. Smells can be another one. And it's just the big sleep kit for teams like that is one thing. But what you learn is that when you move away from a familiar environment, uh, it will can take your brain uh, up to 48 hours to become 
familiar with that environment. And what that means is probably a 40% reduction in recovery before it kicks back in and happy again. So we wanted to take that out, mm-hmm. get that as low as we possibly could. New hotel, new bedroom, how can we make sure they recover at the optimum level? And it was those kind of things that made more of an impact than anything else we could have done. That's crazy. That was a movement like past the kit. You're saying, look, you look at absolutely everything. Um, we saw in an article that you have knowledge of the best hotels and services that can be offered to teams and athletes. When you're looking for those hotels, what are you looking for within them that makes it, um, you know, all right for the athletes to stay there and that you'd recommend them? Wow. I think, you know, I, I, don't, I don't do it anymore uh, because yeah. when I'm working with any particular club, you know, it's part of that strategic plan yeah. that I'm telling what we're looking for and, and they've got people to, to, to go out and check hotels. I think the principle is sometimes uh, organisations use the same hotels all the time, one, because of its location or maybe it's a five-star or three-star, depending on budgets and things like that. But they very rarely think about it from a point of athletes' recovery. It, mm-hmm. It's got a lot better. So the things that you're... Um, you know, some clubs will take over a whole floor in a hotel to protect themselves from others. They might go to a particular level in a hotel to get away from all the hustle and bustle, you know, of the lower things. Um, literally, we look at... It first started um, with uh, England squad in um, Euro 2004 uh, championships started there in, in more specific. So what we're looking for is uh, we're looking for can we secure rooms where the rooms are either facing south or facing north, uh, sunrise, sunset, right? Yeah. Um, have we got the ability to control the the light in the room, all right? And that's either making the room completely blackout or or how do we bring light into the room, which is key to wake somebody up properly. Uh, we look at the products um, because some hotels, most hotels like to go for products that are going to last for quite some time and accept anybody who comes into it whether you're 22 stone or 65 kilograms, you know? So we look at the product. We look at how the the room would be maintained, you know? And and I think I've been into many five-star hotels, and if I just kick the bed to one side, it's disgusting underneath, right? So we would look at that. We would look at how we we would also be a little bit, um, we'd send somebody in. You know, to do a bit of a check because we want to see how the maids are cleaning the environment. So we'd wait for them to come knocking on the door and we'd stay there and watch them do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's things like that. Uh, the linen, it all gets sort of like 150 degrees mega wash to try and get rid of anything that anybody's left behind. So some of it can be quite, you know, it might feel okay, but. If you're with it for quite a bit of time, it can be quite aggravating. Uh, the duvets, the pillows. Um, we look at the visuals on the walls. Yeah. You know, because you know, don't you? You know, I talk about recovery all the time and little controlled recovery breaks, a little couple of minutes here, all adds up. Just, just look in a different direction, you know, for a couple of minutes, you know, go, go to your, 
go to the canteen, go to your, go to your kitchen and, you know, fill your water bottle up and just look outside. Your brain is looking and processing things that's about calm and, and, and de-stressing and everything else. So we'd look at all the, the visualization, the colors, because that could be, you know, the wrong kind of stimulus to be having while you're asleep. We look, you know, everybody puts the flipping flat screen in front of the bed. Yeah. yeah. And it's got, you know, it's a little bit better these days, but the principle was there's a standby light because nobody gets out of bed to switch a telly off. Right? Yeah. There's a standby light there. And when everything's gone dark and they've switched all the lights off, this little red light's like a laser beam. Into <laughs> <laughs> the pineal gland in your brain going, let's produce serotonin like mad and stay awake. Yeah. And it's like a little bit of black tape. Yeah. yeah, a little bit of black tape, rip a bit off over the standby, still works, but get rid of So it was kind of like you start. So, what we and we can't be taking truckloads of stuff with us all the time. Mm. The principle is which hotel can we have the most influence over is the first point of contact. It's not about its quality, it's not about this or that. It's can we go and go right. We'd like you to provide a room, not a bedroom, a storage facility inside your hotel, clear something out, because we want to leave these products with you. Right? So when we arrive, you know, and lots of yeah. top yeah. hotels in any big city will turn over backwards for their clients because they're charging 10 grand a night or whatever. It is. So what it was was, hang on a minute, you know, we want to, we want to be able to come and, and impact on the hotel and we want level two mm. yeah 100%. we want level three when it's when we're coming to play on boxing day or we're coming to play the week before christmas because you've got christmas parties going on all over the flipping shop and mm. we want to be as far away from them as possible you know mm. so it's kind of it, it's sort of i think the thought is i asked a, a pretty big hotel group quite a long time ago, on behalf of somebody else, I said, what I'd like to do is can you give me the spreadsheet list of every customer? I don't need to know their name, but give me as much detail as you can of every customer who's used that hotel, that room 101 in the last 12 months. Yeah. I mean, it's only when you get this concept of, you know, if you put a camera on the room and you just put it on fast forward, and you see all of these different people coming into this room, doing all sorts of different things, all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Mm. And everybody just gets a quick wipe down, bit of linen, off they go again. And it's kind of like, that. that's what we try and do is, is if we can have some influence. Yeah. And, and we've had clubs, you know, they've got the five-star hotel in central London because they're playing London clubs and they always go there and it's nice and posh and everything else. But we can't have any impact. Mm -hmm. So some clubs stop going to that hotel, go to a hotel that's a little bit further out, not about cost, but we can have more of an impact. So that's really where it's it, it starts to to shift for a lot of people. But it, yeah. you can you can probably think about anything, you know. 
Yeah, I think I've seen that at Leicester. Um, I know that they've changed, or the away teams uh, have changed the hotel that they go to. It used to be at the, the Marriott, and now it's at the Nova Hotel, which is a, a bit closer in town. And I'm sure that um, they're probably allowed that room to, to be able to change rooms because every away team goes there now, um, which is interesting. And, you know, I, I can definitely vouch for how important it is because I went to a wedding yesterday in Brighton and stayed over at a hotel. And I am definitely uh, sleep deprived. I didn't have a good night's sleep. And, you know, the bed was so rough, even though it was so, it was on the seafront. So it was supposed to be a nice, nice hotel. And yeah, I've definitely woke up a bit worse for wear. So I could definitely see how important it is. <laughs> you need the sleep kit. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. Well, it's sort of, some, sometimes, uh, you know, it, we jump into things in isolation when it comes to sleep and recovery and things like that. You just, uh, you know, I'm really not sleeping well, but get a new mattress, get a new pillow, grab that supplement. Let's yeah. grab a tracker. But, you know, it, it's kind of, so what we what we really try to do is to say, I can coach you to sleep en- on anything, anytime, anywhere, in any place, up the side of a mountain in a sack, right, for two weeks. Or I can, on the, you know, in a tent, in the desert, yeah. north or south pole, Wherever you want to be, you can do this as a human being. So the journey is circadian rhythms, chronotypes, sleeping in cycles, pre and post, a balanced relationship with activity and recovery, environment and product are six and seven. You try to do six and seven without that other bit, it ain't going to happen. So it's a bit like you've got a really nice view from the hotel in Brighton, yeah. looking out over the sea. What's the point? I know. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. What's uh, the point? I know, I know. You mentioned, um, and a point that uh, I picked up on was the lighting and, you know, the north and south and, you know, the lighting that they wake up to. I don't know whether as part of your role you've ever looked at, you know, waking up and, you know, leading up to a, a, a game day because... We had a professor who spoke to us at a lovely university and he did a lot of work with, I'm not sure what club it was, but uh, when they travelled to games on the, on the bus, you know, it was very dimmed lighting and it was causing the players to get quite sleepy on, on the way to matches and it was affecting their performance. So within his role as a sports psychologist, he looked at changing the lighting, um, you know, keeping the players um, activated still. So I don't know whether you've ever looked at that and that's become part of your role also, because I can see the correlation between your role and that role. Oh, God, yes. What was his name? Carl uh, Stepto. Yeah. Huh? Carl Stepto. Oh, well. Um, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> that's a Lux lamp. Okay. It's kicking out 10,000 Lux, um, which I can explain to you if you've got a minute. Yeah, yeah. Sure. 100%. We have, um, it was quite, it was something that cropped up a long, long time ago because nobody would even go near it. Um, but I became interested in it because, and it started to get really problematic because uh, there was a lot of advice coming out about technology. It's got blue light in it. And if you're on technology too late at night, then the, the blue light, you know, serotonin keeps you awake and disturbs your sleep. So shut your tech down and wear blue blocker glasses, right? And it was like, you haven't even talked about light yet. 
and now you're making blue light dangerous and harmful when actually it's the unbelievable power source to a human being. Right? So we suddenly have to try and change the directive. So you've got lamps, um, you've got seasonal affective disorder lamps. Um, it's all about locks. So very, very quickly, and you can do this for yourselves if you want. Yeah. Um, if you are outside all the time as a human being, the sun rises inside of daylight, there's blue light, the energy wave. If you, so you're talking sunrise to midday to sunset, okay? During those first two phases of the day, daylight can be up to 80 to 100,000 lux, which is lumens, the way you measure light. Uh, it's not harmful. It's just the energy wave of the light. So if you are outside, sunrise to sunset, midday, then you would be exposed to an average around 10,000 lux out of whatever lux is out there. It could be 80,000 lux or whatever, because you're moving around, looking up and down. It's basically through the eyelids, through the eyes, into receptors, into a pineal gland, and that produces either serotonin, if it's being energized by light, or it produces melatonin if it's in diminished light, not dark, diminished light and dark, right? Now the melatonin tells the brain to suppress everything. The serotonin tells the brain to unsuppress everything. So that's why in the morning you need light because that tells the brain to unsuppress everything and make you active. When you shift towards sunset and you move into diminished light, that's telling the brain to slow things down. So it doesn't make you not functional, but it's moving you into a sort of a diminished state, right? Of being yeah. less active. Right. So what you do is that you hear people saying, get blackout blinds because that helps with sleep. Well, yes. But the ideal thing is, is you wake with the sun. Yeah. You move into phase three with sunset. You move into more dark. You go to sleep. And it happens again. Every three, six, five. So if you've got blackout to try and create more of that dark, diminished light approach in your home and into your bedroom, you need a lamp next to your bed that comes on half an hour before you want to wake. It starts to bring 10,000 lux into your bedroom, creating that serotonin and waking you naturally. So when, when you open the bedroom, when you open the curtains or the blinds, it doesn't matter whether it's winter or summer or spring, whether it's dark out there or it's summer and the sun's running, it doesn't matter because you've woken yourself. So it's really difficult to wake in the dark. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But so when you get, you know, with every blackout blind, you should get a lamp, right? Right. Mm -hmm. These two contradictory things. So that what you, so what's he, what's he, what is he, he's doing on the coach is in your homes, right? All the normal, whether you've got eco bulbs, whatever it is, all the light that you've got in your home is nowhere near 10,000 lux, not even close, right? So you're in a diminished light environment. So what he's trying to do is while they're on the coach, he's trying to change some of the bulbs to daylight bulbs, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and because actually everybody's falling asleep, right? They're drifting. Yeah. You can't keep them up. Right? So there's all sorts of things. I've got little tools. I've got, it's a little ear pod. You know, like AirPods. Yeah. Uh, Pop them in your ears. It puts the light through the ear canal to hit the same oh. receptors. So I can get a hit 
of light riding my bike up a mountain. Do you know what I mean? That's unbelievable. You don't have to have lamps. You don't have to have things on your desk. But literally, this lamp here, in, so very quickly, right? this is my little office. I'm sat uh, literally, you know, you can hear the glass. Yeah. That's straight into my back garden, right? It's just glass. Mm. Uh, it's winter because it, this light affects people a lot because we have daylight saving time in certain countries. And so it gets dark really quickly. So it's heading towards, you know, 20 past four. And it's already shifted, right? Yeah. So if I put this lamp on, you know, maybe every 90 minutes for just five minutes, I'm still working. Yeah. All that's doing is that's keeping my serotonin levels up because yeah. that's giving me a hit. So I think every, every 90 minutes, every hour, I want to get an average exposure of around 1,000 lux, right? Now, I can get that by standing outside or a lamp or whatever. So where I'm sat right now, all you do is have a little bit of fun. And you can go into the app store, whatever app store you've got, Android or iOS. Right? It's a little light meter, free looks light meter. Don't pay for one yet. It's got all fun stuff. It's got a little dial on it. It's just using the camera to give me some idea of how much light's around me. So where I'm sat right now, it's saying 158 lux. If I move it a bit closer to the screen of my laptop, it's gone down because I've got diffusers and spring protectors on these. Mm. If I move a little bit further back in the room, it's gone to 98. Yeah. So you can see me shifting, nearly 200, 98. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And that's not even a meter. If I put it by the mm. window, still glass between me and the outside world, it shot up to over 4,000. And I've got it in my hand. Yeah. 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 If I put it outside, it could be 79,000. Oh, my word. Right. Within a meter of where I'm sat right now. So, what we're saying is like he was pointing out in the cook, mm. if I'm in this office space, you know, two or three hours. All that's happening is the lights in my normal home environment. We're just, I'm in a melatonin land. So I'm still functional, but I'm just, you know, 70%, 60%. So I'm being functional, da, 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 but it's not quite there at the wrong time of day. So I need to uplift it. So all I know is if here, 30 minutes to an hour in just 200 lux, Put the lamp on, give me a five-minute hit of 10,000, so that's getting the average a bit better, or just walk outside. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? For, For two sure. minutes. And now I'm getting an 80,000 hit. So you always so everywhere you walk, everywhere you go, you have this sort of subconscious thing. I'm going to go right, not left. Why? There's windows over there. Mm. You know, having a conversation with somebody, stand by the window. Yeah. So all the time, very conscious about how wonderful and important that light is to all bodily functions, for anxiety, for stress, for the brain, to be active at the right times of the day, to be able to create the other key things. And all it's doing is just making sure I'm more synchronized mm. with that particular process. And in, 
And for a lot of people, that can be an absolute game changer. So you just walk around your home that with a light sense. meter. Yeah. In the toilet, in the kitchen, tomorrow, wherever you go, in the gym. Yeah. I had a lot of fun with people in the gym, all these big fluorescent tubes, yeah, you know, and all that sort of stuff, piling it away and everything else. And I'm just wandering around, what are you doing? <laughs> Checking the light. Yeah. You know and he'll, woof. I wouldn't be on that treadmill. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Not in 200 looks, mate. No, you know, no I'll tell sense. you what, there's a, there's a treadmill, like, because there's 20 of them here. Yeah. Get the one at the end. Look at that. There's a 3,000, because it's coming through the windows over mm. there. you got 3,000 looks there. But that one back there is only 300 looks. And suddenly, it's kind of like, wow. That is so, it. Yeah. There's training facilities that has got players' rooms in now. Yeah. I have designed Manchester City's training centre. They've got 80 players' rooms in there for academy and first-team stuff. Real Madrid had them a long time ago. Yeah. Tottenham Hotspur have got them. Liverpool have just done a new training ground. They've got players' rooms. So That's what they're doing is reducing the amount of hotels by 50%. So going back to your other question, what do we do when we're looking for hotels? For some of us, we're looking for less of them because we can actually use the facility at the yeah. training ground as a place where people will stay. And we can familiarise that environment. We can make it feel like that environment. So a lot of teams will benefit because they're using less hotel rooms because they've got the ability to create their own. And some of them will have circadian lighting in the training centre. Right? So this whole process just happens without anybody noticing so it's all those little tiny things that sort of come together and that's what uh, he was doing uh, is yeah. he's looking at something that nobody would even factor in that if the players fall asleep on the coach right headphones on listening to whatever they fall into a sleep state because the brain will put you asleep behind the wheel of a car on a motorway guide uh, and we know your brain's pretty you know you can't if it wants to put you into it and you give it any opportunity, it's going to take it, unless your mattress is rubbish and brighten. But, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's yeah. going to do that. So you kind of think, well, if they sleep on the coach, when they get home, they won't. That'll translate into tomorrow. And before you know where we are, we've got this, what's sleep deprivation? You know, it's a word like sleep hygiene. They're words that just, just confuse me. Sleep hygiene, what do you mean? I've got to wash my hands or, <laughs> or sleep deprivation. I can catch up on sleep and go to bed early and stay in bed longer when I'm not at work and all that sort of stuff. But no, 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 no. I stopped thinking about how I'm going to sleep on Sundays, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, just forgot about it. I know what's going on over the next seven days. I've got a little technique in my back pocket it's about this it's about that it's about that and i just roll through that and if negative things comes along then i'm able to manage them better if really positive things comes along i can really take advantage of them better um but so i'm looking for 35 cycles a week five cycles a day best five a day you do you know, put, put sleep as the health pillar first Best five a day, five cycles in any 24 hours, 35 cycles in any seven days. 
Some of them are going to be nocturnal. Some of them might be midday or late afternoon because that's how we used to do it, by the way, as humans. Yeah. So, oh, that's cool then. So how are you going to sleep on Wednesday? Don't care. It, it'll be what it'll be. What I'll have done is rolled into that the best way I possibly can. My brain will give me the best it can, and off we go. We just keep rolling. Keep rolling. Don't go to bed early. Don't try and sleep in. Don't try and catch up because it just messes. The sun does not care about human being behavior. But it does make this planet work. And if it goes away, we're going to struggle. So it's kind of, it's sort of that relationship, isn't it? And it's, (laughs) I don't want to sound like a psychologist. But you know, I'm, you know, it's it's just interpretations of stuff, isn't it? But it's a really great way to 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 stop talking about sleep and you talk about light. Yeah. And when you start from the psychologist's point of view at Loughborough, it's great because there's more people talking like this rather than and, and actually going out and doing things about it. For sure. Uh, but it was a bit tricky. Yeah. When I first started doing it, I can tell you. For sure. Um, so you, co- you quickly mentioned um, at the, right at the beginning of the podcast that you've been working in the NBA uh, with several teams. So obviously we talked a lot about football. We love football here at the Mastering the Mind podcast. But what was it like working in basketball? Because obviously the demands are quite different to football. Uh, you have regular games. There's a lot of travel, uh, like we kind of alluded to uh, with the coach um, example. So how different it is how different is it and how did you kind of adapt like your work um, with these players it, you know, if it was a lot of that has to be done you know virtually and stuff like that and you, you yeah. know, the key coaches and they pass it on but yeah. it's, it, there's 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 no difference really it's just the you know it's just this sort of you lose the relationship between human beings athletes that sort of thing. And it gets lost in between the sort of ever-increasing performance targets, schedules, mm. or anything else. So like you pointed out, you know, being on a coach for 16 hours crossing the US to play a game at a certain time and then traveling back, NHL hockey is, <laughs> is even worse. Yeah. Um, is it's just like, yeah, yeah, we've got that match here, we've got this game here, we've got that one there, we've got that it's one crazy. here, we've got that one. Just get on with it and do it. And then it's suddenly like, suddenly then there's more games, suddenly then there's more travel uh, and more time zones and more shifts. Mm. And, and it, all it is is just thinking that you can do absolutely anything you want as a human being without consequences. <laughs> so that's all we, it's just like, right, if you take a real polyphasic approach, you know, sleeping in cycles, 90-minute cycles, things like that, what you have to do is create a recovery program for those individuals so that actually they are sleeping on the coach. This is like their bedroom, right? Yeah. So they do have to grab their recovery within the schedules, and they have to do this. They can't be there playing cards and listening to music or whatever, you know, and on social media, when they get on that coach, they've got so many hours where they've got to allocate that to sleep. And they've got to do certain things to make sure that happens. Rather than it's traveling, it's not. It's a bedroom on the move. You know? So mm-hmm. 
you know, you could go, go on about all those, but it is, you have to change their mindset completely upside down, but you have to have some way of doing it, guys. Mm. And, and that's why the technique works, because you can actually adapt it into any extreme circumstances, you know, where, where these things are put under pressure. The other, the other thing you come across quite a lot is, is because you've got so much stuff at the end of your fingertips that you can access without any sort of medical or professional advice, um, there's a lot of addictive behavior in the background. So particularly in NFL and NBA, there's a lot of stuff knocking around there on epidemic levels, uh, just trying to cope. And you see that on a growing basis in all sorts of areas. Yeah. Just talking about that addiction. Um, and I mean, I'm not saying I've got an addiction to it, but it sounds like caffeine. <laughs> Um, what are your thoughts on caffeine? And uh, are you someone who like regularly has coffee? And when would you say no more caffeine for the rest of the day? Is that is that something that they'd factor in? Well, you know, I'm I'm not. You know, I've, I've listened and worked around quite a few people who know. Um, my my particular view is. In all sorts of walks of life, high achievers, elite sport. You know, if you couldn't have a couple of espressos with an elite cyclist, you know, halfway up a mountain, some things are part yeah. of the cultures of things. You know, you have people from different parts of the world. Well, sitting down and having a, a nice glass of Rioja um, at the end of the day or at a particular point in the day, you know, wouldn't be classed as being bad. Four of them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? So it's kind of like this healthy, balanced approach. So the way I look at it is make sure somebody understands what caffeine is. It's it's not a complete negative for the human being and functions, right? It's uh, something we can work with. It's it's a sort of an acceptable thing. It, you don't sort of get addicted to it. Uh, you can certainly do too much of it, but it's not really a sort of addictive thing in that sense compared to other things. Um, so it has a half-life of six or seven hours, which everybody doesn't know that means if I take 100 milligrams of it now, six hours later, it's gone, right? So three hours later, it's 50% less. And depending on metabolism and what you're doing and all sorts of stuff. So the way I sort of think is you don't want highs and lows. You know, yeah. there's a lot of products out there that have got caffeine in them of all sorts of different levels. So even when you try and decaf yourself, it, you know, there's plenty around painkillers, all sorts of stuff. Even decaf products have got a little bit in it in most cases. Yeah. I think what I'd like to think is like, just get a nice, healthy, balanced relationship with it. It's, you know, it is used in sports as a little opportunity to just have a little pick-me-up, you know, at a certain point in the day or to try and help the balance of a day. Uh, certainly it helps because sleep is a little bit unpredictable. So you you might start your day without, a, you know, a good enough night's sleep and you don't feel wet. So, you know, a little bit of tea or, or caffeine there, whether it's an energy drink or in coffee and tea, which is very common, it's not a bad way, to, but what you do is if I take 100 milligrams, you know, of caffeine in, um, I know that the health authorities tell me around two to 300 milligrams in your body at any one time is, is sort of deemed okay. Yeah. 
1,500 is a bit excessive. So you just have a little relationship with it. And I think, what's the point of 2,000 milligrams of caffeine trying to push yourself from wake to midday and then you cut it out altogether? Well, by the time you get to like five or six o'clock in the morning, now you're down to 50% in your body. By the time you get closer towards your evening and everything else, it's now drifting out altogether. How is your brain and bodily function supposed to cope with these highs and lows? So I kind of think I've got 100 milligrams, nice cup of coffee, you know, nice cup of tea, a bit of an energy drink, and I know there's around 100 milligrams in there. I know in three hours' time that'll be 50 milligrams. So if I had a little top-up of 50 milligrams three hours later, then I'm back to there. If I had a, you know, so there's always a nice sort of relationship. There might be something I'm doing at lunchtime in the graveyard slot that I might just want a little bit of a lift for, you know, something like that. Mm. And I just keep that relationship going on. And when I get, you know, when I'm a couple of cycles before my bedtime, my targeted sleep time, that's three hours. So if I've moved it to a place that, that it's actually disappearing gently in a nice controlled way, then I'm likely to go into a sleep state. The brain's happy, no two highs and lows. It'll disappear completely within the first cycle of my sleep. And then the third and fourth cycle and fifth cycle, it's gone and I'm starting afresh again tomorrow. So I would think either cut it out altogether, but, you know, or use it. Uh, definitely. In a more considered way is, the, is I think, a much better approach. Because whenever we start ripping things away from people, you know, um, you know, don't do this and don't do that. I mean, there's lots of coaches I've worked with and still do, you know, and they very much focus on a healthy, balanced approach to everything, right? Social activities, nutrition, hydration, not overhydrating. Um, you know, you've got to treat yourself. You know, it's. I think around most Olympics and World Championships, there's always a McDonald's sponsor somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's. I think it's just a nice, balanced approach to it. Don't let it become too excessive. So, a piece of cake or a cheeky piece of fast food, or a, or having a bit of a a sort of day off in a mm. sort of sense, but within a nice balanced way. I mean, all the geeky, you know, athletes are off the chart, so I come across them a lot. They won't agree with that. And a lot of professional cyclists would think, you know, a day off is a waste of time. They want to be on the bike, 365, you know, and they'll never touch anything that's going to damage performance in the slightest. But I think in general terms, a nice balanced approach to it, little bit more understanding about it, about where you find it, where you're using it, how you're using it, and the half-life and the process. I think he's a really nice balanced way. I certainly wouldn't encourage people to, you know, 14 Starbucks espressos, any drinks, monster, coming out your ears, and then and then go, because you've not taken any from lunchtime onwards, everything's fine. Oh, no. You're coming down off a high-level drug here. <laughs> No, but I definitely think it's healthy to talk about that, especially, yeah. um, you know, post-January, everyone's got the New Year's resolutions and normally that's, you know, cutting something out, um, completely changing their diet, um, 
you know, mine, I think of the way I utilize um, caffeine is maybe, you know, when I switch from the day job and then it's around that three o'clock time where, you know, I've, I've got a real dip of energy and I need to pick me up to transition into, you know, psychology work. I did, I did, I did give a piece of uh, advice probably I shouldn't have done to a mate, um, not an elite <laughs> athlete, but I said, are you going to do that, join the gym in January and leave it in March, trick again? <laughs> you know, well, I've, I've, I, you know, I want to sort of try and be a bit more plant-based and, and stuff, a bit more exercise. So I am looking at gyms, yes, but I'm not going to give up in March. I'm going to keep it going. Oh, yeah, are you really? I said, why don't you start with a little technique that I've been... I learned from a really top coach. Identify the gym, walk to it. Don't join, turn around and walk back. Because yeah. you might get about 40 minutes walking exercise by doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Save yourself the money. Yeah. Do that for three months. Yeah. And then think about joining. You know what I mean? It's, it's a fascinating process for some time. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, sweet. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about was, you know, another tenant of, of your work is um, when we spoke to one of our guests, he spoke about a sleep routine uh, and, and something that he goes through. Is is that quite a specific personal thing, what people would have to go through? Um, or is there certain things that you, you'd want them to go through before they go sleep to optimise that uh that sleep quality in a pre-sleep routine yeah um i think it's it, it's something that again you know that i've been touching on throughout the uh the the, the session here is that it is a, i always err on the side that it's too late you know if you try to focus on what you do in the last hour or 90 minutes before your targeted sleep time, trying to optimize your sleep, uh, it's too late. You know, I would totally focus on what we class as post sleep. So if you've got a targeted start to your day, six o'clock, six thirty, seven, whatever that is, you're going to wake up, you know, with the alarm or before then, uh, start your day at the same time every day, you know, even if you wake before that time, start your day at the same. You know, mine's 6.30, so start my day at 6.30. Not, if I wake up at 6, I don't start the day until 6.30. So that's about hydration, fueling up, exercise, getting ready for the day, showering, bowel and bladder, lots of light, of course, to try and get everything moving, and then off I go into the rest of the day from 8 o'clock onwards type of thing. So that means everything I do throughout the day is going to be focused on on mental and physical activities and mental and physical recovery activities. So I'm helping my brain all the time throughout the day. So when I get round to, we're going to go to sleep at 11 o'clock, right? I'm going to prepare myself to be in a sleep state for 11 o'clock, best I can. Hopefully my brain will take over and it's going to roll through five cycles, 7.5 hours into 6.30 again. So I need to focus on what I'm doing from the point of wake. And throughout that period, all I'm really worried about pre-sleep is light to dark, warm to cool. That's it. Mm. You know, I, I can be thinking about, you know, the light needs to be diminished light, but, you know, we not have to be in the dark. Um, I can be thinking, well, you know, watching films on Netflix on my laptop 
right up until quarter to 11 is not going to be that great. If I'm going to ask my brain to try and put me asleep at 11, <laughs> I need to give it some sort of chance, you know. Mm. But as long as it's, as long as I've got right sort of light levels in the morning, into midday, in the afternoon, melatonin phase, I'm still active, but I'm conscious. Um, I've, I'm controlling my blue light, so I'm not worried about the technology and the blue light that's coming off it. You know, just jump in there. There's diffusers, there's this, and if you use that, there's hardly anything coming off it, right? So I only have to move back half a few centimetres to stop. I'm more interested in the load of rubbish that I might be watching on the telly, yeah. on the laptop, that's influencing my brain of how it might disturb my sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm watching David Asper on my laptop, I'm absolutely fine with that. Yeah. Because it, it's it's good stuff. So use your technology in a more managed way. It's fantastic. It's brilliant, but it can also be quite scary and get in the way. So just have this nice managed approach to it as best you can. So you know, binaural beats and smelly baths and you know eye masks that do this and supplements that do that and you know what I mean it's all like hang on a minute mm. yeah. okay so I concentrate on start your day there's a little military term because I've done quite a bit of work around with the military around the world and stuff all different levels it gets a bit scary horses <laughs> yeah. firefighters nurses surgeons you know, the book's taken me on a right old travel out of elite sport. There's a little term called a 180, which fascinated me. Have you ever heard it before? And that was literally any particular soldier's been faced by, you know, some serious visuals that, you know, have to be left behind uh, that most of us wouldn't cope with. So it's sort of you walk up to the wall and you leave it in the wall. You know, you, you get rid of it into the wall as best you can. Do a 180, walk away. Now, of course, it's still there. You know, you haven't left it in the wall. But the principle was, you are no good to us now if you are bringing this around with you for the rest of this period of time. You've got to come back and get on with it, right? So do the 180. Dump it in the wall. Yeah. Get, uh, try and get rid of it. So I look at that. It's like when you wake up. You know, what time is it? You know, you've got an alarm on. You woke, did you sleep well? Don't know. Was it good? Was it bad? Have you got a tracker telling you it was rubbish, but you feel okay? You didn't get enough REM sleep, but you don't know what REM sleep is. Yada, yada, yada. And you just go, oh, I woke up three times to go to the toilet. I was dreaming about, you know, all sorts of weird and wonderful things. I was tossing and turning. It was a bit hot. Whatever it is, that's what it was. So start your day. Loads of light. Bowel and bladder, appetite, hydrate, fuel up. Come on, some mental challenges. Get outside. Get yourself a puppy. Because mm. they're great to start your day off. <laughs> yeah, they demand to go outside. They want to wee outside. They have to have a poo. And you've got to feed them. You've got to drink them. And, and they're just sitting there waiting for you to get on. So it's kind of like, don't take what happens during your sleep yeah. into the day. Just start it, get these things in balance. Lots of little recovery breaks every 90 minutes. I'm just thinking two minutes. Just watch something else. Look in a different direction. However you can manage it. Light, 
I'm thinking about a 30-minute cycle late afternoon every day. You know, mm. it's called naps, it's CRPs, it's a natural polyphasic approach. I'm not even trying to sleep. I'm giving 30 minutes for me and my brain. And if we want a little micro-sleep, we will. If we don't, phase three is even better because I don't want to be falling asleep at 8 o'clock at night. I want to be doing... So it's kind of... You really sort of... You know, basically, I do have an imaginary friend. It's called my brain. And we try and work together a bit better. Yeah. It helps. Everyone should do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, when you mentioned the military, I thought you was going to mention, um, I think a routine that I saw is that as soon as they wake up, they make their bed. And, you know, it's around the mentality of win the morning and win the day. And you've, you've started off with, you know, something successful. You've ticked something off the list that you needed to do that morning. And it set short for a successful day. Um, that's just something I find interesting, something I try to implement. There is a, there is a little bit of like, you know, there's, there's a little bit of like those certain things, you know, if you're, if you're a more, you know, your chronotypes are basically your, your sleep, your characteristics. So you've got owls and locks, okay? It's a little genetic twist. It means you process uh, blue light uh, with a, a slight sort of phase delay. So the, the owls, don't start the day as quickly as a, as a lark, right? And that's just light and serotonin production. And it's the opposite way around towards the end of the day and diminished light. So, you know, the owls are still being very creative at 12, one o'clock at night, and, and the larks are up in early in the morning, but the other ones want to stay in bed till eight, nine o'clock, right? Mm. Yeah. Now, there's little things like that. So when you're talking about friendly fire, uh, activities and everything else you have to have a little bit of an idea about that because you can't push everybody to do exactly the same things at the same times all the time but you can help them because sometimes you can't change it so within the schedules of like a military or, or even in sport you can't change everything to suit these little nuances between us all but you can make adjustments to how you go into something and how you come out of something, right? And what you do in and around it to protect yourself from the impacts of it, right? So if you get everybody up early, be aware that 50% of them, you're pulling them into the day. So that bit about making the bed, switching the lights on, you know, the PMers haven't got an appetite until 10 o'clock. Oh, yeah. They're up at six, you know, whereas the AMers are scoffing breakfast and hydrating up like fun, aren't they? So you've got to sort of go, what can help that? And that's light. If you get lots of light into a PM early in the morning, then they'll get that appetite up quicker before they get into the day. So there are little things and some of them can't, can be a little bit unique to any individual, but it, it's a bit like that. Is Have you got this... How do you start your day and forget, you know, that 180 and forget about that? You know, yeah. out of bed, you've got to get the lights on. No snooze buttons. The light's got to come on before you hit that snooze button because otherwise you're just going to hit, keep hitting that snooze button, right? That's something if I need to change. the light's in the room, it's more difficult, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Bang. Bladder's easy. Bowel for some is not. So you need to nibble on something, then have a drink. Nibble on something else, have a drink, iron a shirt, make the bed, plump the pillows, you know what I mean? Take the dog for a walk, step outside, even if it's raining or cold or snowing, forget about it, just step outside. It's all these little things that gets that post thing going that brings you into that whole day and allows you to 
to make sure you're making good decisions about some things here, some things there, why you do that. Like I would might put my little, you know, light pods in because I know I've got something happening at one o'clock. I know that's a slump moment, right? Yeah. I don't normally do my 30 minute cycle till later on, five o'clock, right? I don't want to do it earlier at midday because that's going to put it. But what I do need is I need a little lift. Right, because I know I'm not going to get as much out of that if I'm not careful. It could be exercise, it could be a meeting, it could be, you know, something. So either uplift it with light, either synthetically with a device, or make sure I'm outside before I go into it. Or it might just be, you know, I'm 100 milligrams in caffeine, I have a little espresso, 100 milligrams, just to flick that level up a little bit, just to accommodate that, come down, I'm off, I'm okay. So it's about, you know, it's not creating loads of routines for anybody. It really, it's a great point, you know. And yeah. it, and you find those little things about what stuff. I mean, you know, guys, a lot more about it than me, but a long time ago, um, we would just record the athlete reading bedtime stories to his two kids on the device right? and he's other side of the world in a hotel room and if you want to get a bit of you know disappear mindfulness and all that sort of stuff he, he just put that in and all he's got you know kitchen towel over his head or the headphones whatever and all he's listening to is his kids in 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 the diminished light of the bedroom yeah. reading a story he can transport himself right to that place wherever he is and, and that was a long time ago. Things have moved on. We can use lots of things like this to help get that vacant space. So it's all about, you know, once you become very recovery conscious, it is a mental and physical activity. It's not about doing nothing. Mm. This is your key to success, both, you know, from a mental perspective, successful perspective, wherever you want to be, to, to combat uh, to protect yourself, reveal, reveal yourself, your true self more often than not, then that's why it starts to come. And nobody needs to really know that you're doing it. You know, I can have a, I can have a four or five minute CRP and you wouldn't even know I was doing it. You just think I'm a good listener. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You start to, you know, well, uh, can I have a can I can I do a podcast with you, Nick, at, at, at five o'clock? And I go, well, I've got another one on. Can you make five thirty? And you go, yeah, we could, probably could, because I'm. That's my thirty minutes today, yeah. and you can't get anywhere near it, right? Yeah. My life's more important than yours, in that sense. And you just go, oh, so you've got another one on. Instead of me going, yeah, I can do it at five. You know what I mean? You suddenly start to. And like I said, you turn left instead of right because there's a sort of light radar that just subconsciously comes into your world. Yeah. And you sort of, oh, there's that good stuff. You know, it's almost like looking for a, an electrical socket to charge your phone. <laughs> At a certain point, it becomes quite obsessive. Yeah. Thankfully, we've got little power chargers we can walk around with. We don't need electrical sockets anymore. Oh, know, yeah. You can imagine the point. Yeah. It's like... You're always trying to look, is there any electrical sockets in there so I can charge my phone up? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, unfortunately, we're able to move away from that because you got your power bar there. Yeah. Just what I mean. Suddenly you just go, oh, light, 
Can I just go to the toilet? Of course you can, Nick. Yeah. See you in a couple of minutes. Thank you very much. I'm just grabbing two minutes for myself. I don't even need to go to the toilet. So suddenly, you know, it's one of those big sort of game-changing shifts that you start thinking 35 cycles a week, some of those are nocturnal, some of them are there, little ones here, and suddenly start doing that, and then suddenly that starts to shift, suddenly that starts to shift. And before you know where you are, you realise that you are a much better version of yourself now than you were just a few weeks ago or months ago. Mm. Because you hadn't noticed how that shadow of yourself had started to become your personal best and you didn't spot it because you'd just been at your best, aren't you, all the time, but it was just dropping. So that's why this becomes successful in elite sport because you take somebody who's extremely uh, good at what they do and you make them better and they didn't know it could be. And that might be 1% or just something as simple as you know, they score more goals, they give away less fouls, they get sent off less, they get less yellow cards, or the goalkeeper just catches it more often instead of letting it go through his legs. Emmy <laughs> <laughs> <Like Amy> Martinez. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's when you see those little significant things going on. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah, no, it's anyway. such valuable, such valuable information. Um, Obviously, as you spoke about that toilet break, I am conscious of uh, time. Uh, we have been speaking for nearly two hours now. So uh, <laughs> what we have had is... Uh, well, you are paying me by the minute, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're taking the door, door. Just real, really quickly, uh, we had some audience questions that we normally go through. Just uh, real quick fire. I'm sure you've answered them already, uh, yeah. but, you know, just real quick fire. Uh-huh. Um how much sleep should I aim to get on average? Is a is a question. As there's, you know, um, you should read my book, The Myth of Eight Hours. The reason it sure. is because in any twenty four hour process, the circadian rhythm we're talking about, your brain and bodily functions, nothing has changed. We just keep making it more difficult. Uh, just over thirty odd percent of any twenty four hour period, a human being needs to be in a recovery state. Uh, aka sleep there's hibernators out there there's all sorts of things you know the plants close up at night the sun and circadian rooms so that's eight right so when you hear eight hours it means 30 percent of 24 now we've tried to make that happen all in one block we never used to do it up until electric light came along we slept in a multiphasic way so sleeping in one block the whole eight hours in one block is not the most natural way to achieve it so you can achieve it in other words so the simple answer is is you need around 30 percent of that 24 in some sort of recovery state so five 90 minute cycles is 7.5 hours if you think about little breaks every 90 minutes you think about your first 90 minutes of your day your post sleep which we're talking about that's a recovery period right mm. it's the same thing you can all add it up so you think of at least you know five 90-minute cycles in only 24 hours, or you could mix that up with shorter cycles during the day. But you want to you want to think 
more about uh, recovery in every 24 hours, not just because you can decide however many hours you want to sleep, right? Eight, nine, 10, three, four. The only thing that's going to determine that is putting the alarm on in the morning and you going to, into bed with those hours allocated. It doesn't mean to say you're going to sleep. So you can't, how many hours should I get? You want about eight hours of recovery in any 24, but how you get them and when, that's, that's the bit that you need to define. You just can't decide you're going to get eight hours every night. Yeah, yeah. Work. definitely, definitely check out that book. Um, yeah. I'm definitely going to get it myself for sure. <laughs> I can't believe that... you've got me on the podcast and you haven't read my book yet. Oh. <laughs> I'm, currently, I'm currently reading this Listen, one. You should get, you know, drop these two. What's he got? All right. It's called <laughs> the, power, the Power of Habit. It's, uh, it's a good book about, you know, creating new habits in the new year. So, yeah, no, it's, it's been good, but definitely going to check out, check out yours. So the sec- yeah. So the second question real quick. So with having a job that is constantly changing shifts, what effects does this have on my sleep performance? Would you say it's something that's that's cropped up, you know, uh, in sports and life in the last couple of decades. Paradigm shifts, you know. I didn't mm. have a phone in the late nineties. Look where we are now, and it continues to have that sort of instantaneous shift. And multi-shift workers used to be just night shift workers. Now we've got multi-shift workers in all sorts of areas two days of this, three days of that, and then four days of that, and three days of that, and two days off, and all sorts of things. What I can say is that it, it will affect um, the quality of your sleep. It will have certain impacts on you short-term and longer-term. Uh, but I, I impacted my technique into a university in Knoxville in the US, a medical university for all the graduate surgeons with the graduate surgeons program and they had multi-shifts for fun all on pages you know transplant surgeons orthopedic surgeons young people going through that that whole education and we have we applied everything in the book to their schedules so what it is is about yes you've got demanding schedules if you just roll with it you know i mentioned fire services nurses surgeons uh, police forces you know parents you know, hmm. students, you know, it's pretty, is it, you do need to try and do something about it yeah. just to use the technique to synchronize yourself a little bit better. Like we said about the MBA on the coach, right? Is yeah. you just go, well, that's a sleeping moment for me, right? Yeah. That's a sleeping moment for me, but it might be in the middle of the day or it might be early in the morning. Mm. You have to sort of start to think like that because, you know, I wouldn't like to scare the, the person who asked the question, but we have created multi-schedules that are pretty non-human and we have to get on with it. You know, we have to earn a living. Mm. We have to, you know, adapt and adjust the best way we can. Um, certainly asking organisations to make changes to make it easy is, is something that doesn't happen in most cases, but that should change. But just don't don't wander around every day thinking the schedules that you're doing is impacting on your ability to sleep, and that's going to be very dangerous for you short and long term. You can actually put it, make it far more beneficial for you. So I would I would I would jump to stop worrying about it as quickly as you possibly could. Yeah, that's great. Fantastic. Yeah. 
the last couple, um, I mean, you, you've definitely already answered them already. So, Nick, thanks so much well, for coming whether on. Whether we're going to win the Premiership at Manchester United or not? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, oh sorry, was that not the question, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How um, do you think Villa will get on uh, this season? Obviously, with the signings, it must be super exciting to be a Villa fan. I think you know. Where I was brought up in Birmingham and the West Midlands in the UK, uh, we had we had options of West Bromwich Albion, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Birmingham City or Aston Villa. Aston Villa was the biggest club. They got the best kit, best colours yeah. um, and all that sort of stuff. So that was my team. Um, we had a few exciting times, you know, sort of a European Champions League final longer when I was <laughs> quite young. Yeah. Um, but in general terms, we sort of hang around in the middle of the table. We don't sort of go up to Europe. We don't sort of go down. Sometimes we have a little flirt with relegation. Sometimes we might even get relegated. But it's, it's all a bit like middle of the table villa. But every now and again, um, and I think we're in one of those moments, is I think the, the dynamics of uh, Mr. Gerard, yeah. I think his reputation in football attracts the attention. Yeah. So managers or people sometimes do. Um, and that certainly happened. So I think there's been a, there's been a few years where we've been making progress. Uh, Dean Smith made some progress. Um, and now we've got Stephen Gerrard and now we've got, I think we'll have a few others. And I think I would be I, I don't think that we're in that transitional stage enough to sort of think Europe. Um, but I think next season. Could be possible. Next season, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you know, next season he'll either have left, he'd been fired, Coutinho's gone back to Barcelona, and everything's back to football again. <laughs> <laughs> but you. You'd like to, th I think there's enough indication at this moment in time that he's probably going to be around long enough to have an impact. It doesn't sound like he's going to get thrown away tomorrow. No. Uh, I think people are going to come and help that process. So I think, yeah, as, as good as it is in football, um, unlike if you're an Evertonian at the moment, um, yeah. you know, that's the, that's the footballing world. You know, you can... Uh, you can never tell what's coming around the corner. But I think we're in a good place. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And I think Gerard is doing everything right in his managerial career, like going and learning the craft in Scotland and then, you know, coming here. He's taking the right jobs. And I, I just think he's the, he's the perfect man well, for the maybe, job. Maybe if we could edit this and not, not necessarily put it into the podcast, it's your choice. But as you're United fan, <laughs> I, I did get a little notification from somebody that because I, I haven't pretty much worked with Manchester United or know a lot of people there since Alex Ferguson retired. If he actually has, he's still yeah. <laughs> we never yeah. know. Uh, but it was, it was it was a little comment. Was like, has anybody rang Nick yet? <laughs> yeah, they need to for sure. <laughs> <laughs> please do. <laughs> we need work help. Your, work your magic, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were just playing on the manager's name. Yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah. Give Nick a call. 100%. Anyway, but yeah. you know, I quite happily go into the club and make sure they 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 end up lower than Villa if you want. No, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> no, but um, it's been a pleasure, pleasure talking with you. It's uh, so much value to our listeners, so much value to us. No um, it's been a great podcast and, and a great chat. So thanks so much for coming on. Um, normally, uh, now I, get, I give the, the guest a moment to you know mention anything that they've got going on. All your um, links will be in the description of the YouTube video to your books, um, any social media. Um, is your website. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Great. I think it's just, you know, it's sportsleepcoach.com. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of things we've talked about on the podcast. I think the, the biggest thing is, is, is make some little steps. You know, it's always a good place to start. Don't think you're going to have to make investments or anything else, but, you know, the book's not intimidating, you know. It's it's an easy read. You could probably read it in sixty minutes. You can listen to it if you want, but that's a good step. There's a little audible course on the website, yeah. So you can yeah. just listen to that. Just little steps. Um, you'll be amazed. There's probably a lot of things that you're doing that you're doing really well, but you don't know about it. There's other little things that just get in the way, and you can improve it. It's a really natural process. At the moment, you get to a place where you stop worrying about it because that's its biggest disruptor. It'll be amazing. So always keep an eye on the website because we're always giving stuff away for free and doing <laughs> podcasts for nothing, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but that'd no. be really helpful if you, you know, point everyone in the right direction. And just, you know, everybody who listens to the podcast, you know, just go and tell, you know, another 10 people. Yeah. Or, you know, just help them move things along if you can. Yeah. We're, we're definitely expecting uh, a lot of listeners for this one uh i think sleep you know it's quite topical so yeah definitely uh for all the listeners go go check out nick's nick's uh website we'll put again all the links in the description but uh thanks so much nick for for taking no, the time sure. honestly you keep in touch and uh let me know where it goes out if you want me to share it around or anything of course if you do get lots of uh questions and things like that or Oh, why can't we talk about this? I mean, just mm. feed them on to me. I'm happy yeah. to, you know, email, answer any other questions anybody's got or something like that. Or if that generates another little session, yeah. you know, just a Q&A session if it comes from it, then well, that's more than happy to keep involved, all right? Definitely. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Okay. So, yeah. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you could please share it with your friends or someone you would feel benefit from it most importantly like subscribe comment down below any questions or guess you'd like us to get in the future also go follow us on twitter or instagram links will be in the description of the youtube video or find us at master in the mind podcast thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next one